On some level, I know that, that a lot of people that, um, that I've been close to throughout my life feel a sense of anxiety or a sense of frustration and they're not sure where it comes from. Maybe one of the reasons why we feel anxious and frustrated is because we're not even in control of our lives anymore. You know, that a lot of the decisions that guide our everyday experiences are being made by someone else. And so urban exploration is kind of, you know, in, in the most kind of raw and brutal context, you know, is, is, is about freedom, you know, the freedom to make a choice for yourself, even if it's a bad one. One and all, welcome to the latest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, comic Nick Muniz. Today, we're going far and wide, like my asshole, with Bradley Garrett's book, Explore Everything, an account of the author's escapades with the London Consolidation Crew, an urban collective of explorance. Explorance is definitely not a word. I should explore the thesaurus. These blokes, they're sleuthing around the Paris catacombs, underground dance clubs in Berlin, Detroit, Rock City. They come over to Chicago, explore the underground city in Las Vegas. Peter Hoeg, notorious in the community, said there is one way to understand another culture, and that is by living it. Bradley Garrett is a really good speaker. We just had a clip in the intro. He went underground with this crew for six years, lived it, did over 300 raids. He talks about Hunter S. Thompson, who we have read here before, invented gonzo journalism. No flex zone. If you ain't actually doing it, don't tell me about it. Hunter S. Thompson got peed and pooped on by the Hells Angels. He called it edge work. That's how he gets off. He was edging himself to bikers beating his ass. You'll meet some of the most experienced urban explorers and the new wave we're going back 2008 youtube stobe the hobo and brave dave these guys would ride the rails true american illegal freedom all the way up till today we'll talk shy the new wave these guys gift gas bad cat to go to chernobyl they do anything they want we're gonna explore obviously the deeper ideas to this today as garrett gets into artists and how this is any sort of act of defiance makes it artistic. Go kick a cop in the balls and then sell it as a non-fungible token. <laughs> That'll go for millions. You've seen the videos, these Russian kids, they'll just hang off of the edge of buildings. Bus surfing is getting pretty big. They're little Spider-Man sticking to these skyscrapers. Might as well call them Peter Parkour. Parkour is like one degree off from the urban exploring scene. The proper people, you've seen them on YouTube, they're like the kings of amusement. I would recommend Vagrant Holiday and GeoWizard. That guy just tried to cross Scotland in a straight line. All in the theme of exploration. You gotta be a little bit mental to climb these 70-story buildings or just send it trespassing anywhere. Which is not a crime in the UK. Anyone else trying to go hit up Buckingham Palace, steal some purebred corgis? Hit me up. Do these artifacts, the decaying military bunkers and asylums that the taxpayers paid for, should you get your citizenship revoked from exploring these places at your own risk? And that's what happened to Bradley Garrett. Stick till the end today. He's got a wild story about getting locked out of countries. 
Going into shuttered businesses, mines, construction areas, cranes, bridges, bunkers. Before we learn a little bit more about Garrett, we're going to send it over to a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Nothing like some good memes in the morning. Bradley Garrett, he was born in 1981. He's an American social and cultural geographer, graduated from University College Dublin in Ireland. University College? That's what you say when you don't really have a degree. I went to the University of Colleges, the Guardian newspaper he's written for in the UK. He describes his research and interests as being at the intersection of cultural geography, archaeology, and visual methods. This really is a book about ruins. This is like Tomb Raider vibes, or that Tom Clancy game where you're a modern-day pirate solving mysteries, looking at maps of the underground. He knows it all. Got his BS in anthropology. Also got a doctorate at the University of California, LCC. That London Consolidation crew came to notoriety in 2011. And that's when they first released photos of mothballed London Post Office railways. There's like six and a half miles underground London that was just reserved for the post office. They got their own secret tunnels. It just came out there spying on you. Your mailman is in the manhole. (laughs) This is when uh, Bradley Garrett started running around with the LCC crew around 2011. And he ran with them for around four years. 2016, he came out with a book called London Rising about hacking the underground. 2020, bunkers building for the end times. And you got today, explore everything. Right after, you get indoctrinated by us sponsors. seven chapter book today very visual book as well so i suggest buying your own copy if you're only on the audio this is a youtube must bradley garrett says the age of discovery lives on through urban explorers he started us in a crisp night amidst downtown london his buddy mark explo the marco polo of eu ues they call themselves ues urban explorer marco polo and Garrett, they're walking on this catwalk above a construction yard just trying to survey the area, see what else they could hit up. And they locate this scaffolding right over connected to the London Bridge. How convenient. They wait for a clearing in the night, shimmy up the ladders and listen out for anything down below. They stay undetected to all the CCTV cameras. They got all black on, mandatory UE uniform. No doors opening, no phones ringing, no security. They locate the central stairwell and stand atop 
the UK's most famous landmark. Garrett said he obviously never thought he'd make it up there. His sweat was freezing on his scalp. He figured the only way to warm up was to climb back down. This climb might come back to bite Garrett in the ass, but him and Mark Explos night isn't quite over yet. He takes him over to a 66-story high-rise, and Garrett almost quit on the 50th stair. It takes more than half an hour to walk up that many flights. Easy enough for Bradley, he thought he would get some pictures atop. There's a giant crane on the roof. His adrenaline, he said, was causing his entire body to shiver. Down on the Thames, it looked like all the ships were just tiny bathtub toys. This was his first time looking at London and hearing nothing but wind. Different kind of silence up there on top. And the visuals, obviously, cannot be explained. It looks like a circuit board below. Walking down the Thames, thinking these two landmarks are something he would have never gotten to climb. Totally shifted his perspective. So what is an urban explorer? Ship poster Ninjalicious defines it as an interior tourism that allows the curious-minded to discover a world of behind-the-scenes sights. Ninjalicious also credited with coining toads, temporary, obsolete, abandoned, decrepit spaces. Bradley considers himself an ethnographer, <laughs> looking into toads, which directly translates to cultural writer, urbex culture. Garrett says UEs are like computer hackers in real life. You are exploiting design fractures and then, of course, finding a deeper meaning. It's a celebration as well as a protest. These people sharing a city are able to see it in a new way for the first time through these explorers. And it's a victimless crime. I'll say that up front. If you even believe those two words should go together, who are you hurting? This lad was quoted saying, We mess with people's heads to make them see what they're missing out every day. And some people probably get mad. Oh, trespassing is a big deal. Those pictures are examples of menaces to our society. Artistic expression is not supposed to make you feel good. It's just supposed to make you feel. There's a watch a horror movie. It could ruin years of your life. <laughs> Garrett was run with the London Team B. So this is a subsection within that consolidation crew. And he personally did 300 place hacks in eight different countries with Team B. The LCC is the bigger group. They shared maps of tunnels and sewers. But within that, there's guys that specialize in different things. Some guys ruins, others just construction, infiltration. There's no, like, regimented leadership within this. People can do missions with whoever they want to learn specialization skills in different areas. Mark Explo told Garrett while in the Paris catacombs, None of us wait to take orders. If I want to drink wine on the top of a church, I'm going to do it. If we want to throw a party underground, we do it. The UE Kings was a squad in Stockholm. They made a viral underground music video. They're matching clout of the LCC just because, what, they found some sewer chicks, sewer groupies. I gotta start hanging down with it a little bit more underground. That UE King squad in Stockholm, all of the LLC, they come together then to upload onto places like desankt.com. It's a pretty good example, but there's these weird Russian websites where they're able to decentralize all of the data. So no matter what, the information gets out there. Garrett, he climbed the 
Palace de Justice in Brussels, Belgium, the capital building. And it was a really close call to end the first chapter. He was learning how to use a manhole fulcrum with some of the guys over in Belgium. These are great videos. Look up just like that guy Shai. I'm going to recommend it the whole video. He did this video with exploration in Croatia underground. And they started on the outside of whatever the capital is. And then they popped up in the main square and it got down to tiny crawl spaces. I mean, I used to do this as a kid. You know, Route 80 goes from the Atlantic to the Pacific. We would take, <laughs> you got to trudge through the woods to get there. We're doing it with skateboards. And then you get down into these tiny tunnels. You could climb up into the drainage areas and just watch cars 90 miles per hour. And they're kicking pebbles straight by your eyeballs. And then you go back down and you act like a mechanic and you just stroll along on your skateboard but don't flip up because then you're going to look at palm-sized spiders just staring back down at your face but you can't replicate this feeling of exploring anywhere you got to get back underground or people say that they live through these videos and that's why it's so positive in bradley garrett's point of view garrett said on road trips across europe most of the time was spent drinking beers and cracking wise it's not all go 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 the quality of life is paramount to anything else in the UEs because most of them hate their jobs. This is the fun escape. Although it's people's one release valve, in 2016 the UK permitted police drones which were supposed to deter urban explorers. And he's just saying this is now an additional challenge. Nothing's going to make these people stop. Marco Explo says at some point every man thinks, fuck the consequences, I want to see what's out there. The urban explorers describe high-value toads as security entertainment complexes. Those are like the boss levels. He ends on 1830s John Hollingshead is like a writer about London. He talked about the tunnels and how exploring down there, it's surrealist. You could just get lost. It's an abandoned site. You're seeing the future of what we are going to be. It's like an alternate timeline. There's no way to really explain it, like your imagination runs wild in these places. The anti-spectacles of a dark sewer are more artistic than you'd think. He uses <laughs> complete opposite spectrum language. He calls it place hacking, turning it into an algorithm, while it's the romantic flair of the art of urban exploring. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Chapter 2, The Ruins of History. Mid-mission. Hiding in the bushes, covered in mud. Brad and Explo are seeing a couple of security guards. They're strolling by, talking soccer, a little bit of footy, completely oblivious to what's going on. The boys are trying to break into the Battersea Power Station. There's these vacant smokestacks that every Londoner would be familiar with. It's been polluting the skyline for as long as it's been operable and inoperable. He says, understanding the past embraces all modes of exploration. He got into how factories show why a city was built a certain way. When you start looking at like Eastern Bloc cities, they're all built around the central factory or a big ass mine. The two security guards are back at their post and Bradley and Explo decide to hop the final fence, makes a vile shriek for all to hear. And they finally make it to the roofless central hall of this Battersea Power Station. The middle is just rotten iron girders everywhere, leaving only enough room for a crawl space where a bunch of resting pigeons would fly out. 
Control Room A, they finally make it to a chamber of long switches and spinning meters from the 80s. They stayed down there until sunrise, caught a few iconic photographs, smokestacks billowing over London. The Battersea Power Station and Millennial Mills were a couple turn-of-the-century power stations, and they're on this big list of ruins for people along with the Parisian catacombs, just the sheer size of it. New York City subway platforms like Vegas, I said, the underground there. These are some of the biggest meccas, freaking Disney World of urban exploring. That's got to be Chernobyl. I've been looking into flights there, too. And it's like a $400 flight, but then there's all this airline fee. Internationally, you're going to a communist country. You're not allowed to go to Kiev without paying us $800. I would go. (laughs) This shit is... I haven't even watched, what is it, that HBO one everyone talks about? I don't know how they get there, but there are straight-up double-decker tour buses that are going through Chernobyl, and then you see the stalkers' videos, just some kids on YouTube that capture it all. I think those bigger groups are just giving the guards bottles of vodka. Man, dude, Chernobyl? It doesn't come up in this book, but that is the epitome of this subculture. Millennial Mills, Battersea Power Station are up there. 2008. Bradley started working with the LLC and they discontinued their own restoration effort. They were like going through the London underground and trying to make it more livable. And they're like, this is a waste of time. Let's just try to map the place out. 2008 was also when people are responding to YouTube clicks. So you want to go along for the ride while this guy is charting new land. You don't really care to see him doing fucking repair projects in an abandoned, decrepit tunnel. It was like out of nowhere, this giant fascination with decay. And I mentioned the proper people in the intro. Those guys are maybe top of the game right now. They go to uh, abandoned amusement parks in China, eat friggin' mushrooms off the ground, growing in old asylums. (laughs) Garrett, he would do expeditions in Belgian countrysides, exploring castles, asylums, factories, pictures in the book. All those countries declared their decaying castles as landmarks. So it's like a public park. Anybody could go. I watch videos Craig Adams, like the hiking videos I do. This kid, he straight up slept inside of an old castle. Like you could just do whatever you want in Transylvania. We got to give this exempt status to our sports arenas. (laughs) You probably urban explore the Coliseum pretty hard if you sneak past the guards. That would be fun one day. Giant stadium. It's like that freaking Tom Cruise movie, After Earth. All at this uh, Millennial Mills, he was talking about the twisted metal. And it shows our illusion of control over eternity. We make our real steel. We're all prideful about it. And in 40 years, it's all warped and twisted. Luke Bennett was his geographer buddy getting intertwined with the LLC as well. And they both gained access to Royal Observation Corps records of old bunkers. This is like insider information, complete treasure map of ruins to find. These guys are the Indiana Jones of anthropology. Now that's a movie. Like uh, capture the Gen Zs with a new Indiana bones. (laughs) He goes and has sex with emo chicks inside of abandoned buildings. I think there's something there. Luke helped Garrett get into Sintelenlog, this factory in Germany. They almost got caught there together, saying they're becoming less ignorant in the process. Learning on the go. 
These guys, you're in Germany, sneak into Dachau. Take it big. Close calls. <laughs> Both guys decided that you know, we got to, you know, get better at this. They go back to the LLC 2008. He hit Dover Castle was one of the first ones with the LLC. Vogelslang was this abandoned Soviet military base by Berlin. It has an old Soviet theater, giant UE hotbed, really cool pictures, really cool quote to end the chapter. These places become like a drug for some reason. Places of this magnitude get you high. A combination of history, architecture, the light moving through the fumes of 100-year-old oil that now stains the floor like blood, and you have become another layer of history in this place. Chapter 3. Capturing Transition. In 2009, Marco Polo invited Garrett to West Park Mental Hospital in Surrey. Garrett got caught there once before. That wasn't going to let him define his experience at the mental hospital. He's got to try to escape again. Tons of care communities from the 1980s, you know, opened up due to deinstitutionalization. So people have been exploring these forever. And they're pretty beautiful, usually Victorian style. Even in America, we had Greystone in the town that I grew up. There's this independent film even about that place. We used to scheme around in the caverns. Garrett had all these pictures of old-fashioned dolls and mansion hearths, personal artifacts, and congealed horrors pooled up cess. <laughs> Mushrooms, he said, grew out of basically everywhere. Pop one in your mouth, and in no time you're going to be talking to... Some of those spirits on the other side. Mark disappeared for a while down a corridor and he found this pile of decaying toys in a room with peeled wallpaper, classic creepy pasta. <laughs> Garrett almost had a panic attack seeing all these tiny shoes. Whose are they? Where did they walk? Back to Dachau. <laughs> That's like the creepiest thing people always say when they go to the Holocaust Museum. It's just shoes. Seeing the lobotomy stations... Now that's something that piques my ape brain. He's wondering if he's like a historian witnessing something that'll be whitewashed away. Is he the only one that's... <laughs> can't really count on journalists to be doing this hard-hitting news. We're gonna forget about these places entirely. Think about it. These were places for abandoned people, and now they're abandoned places. It's like some friggin' cosmic irony right there. And then we're probably going to whitewash over it and say, no, this was the rehabilitation. This was a fucking loony bin. Brad's buddy Winch was the ambassador of asylums in the LLC, and he had some of the best pictures featured in Explore Everything. Canehill.org is another website that specializes in abandoned asylums. Winch would say that seeing a hospital in the daylight is super rare. Like, you're used to the luminescent buzz and just that creepy aura of being in a hospital but when there's no windows no one there you kind of get the true feel for if you want to get real hippie the morphic resonance what kind of a memory does this place hold an asylum is like a temple of sorts think about that one we used to consider these people empaths <laughs> they said he has precognition this guy might be telekinetic especially in the Egyptian and the Aztec times, those people were literally gods. What is it? Um, I'm going way off the rails here, but these people are living on some other type of frequency. So when you put them all together, they're like mixing the other plane with the one that we have here. Nonsense. <laughs> Garrett 
is saying UEs are doing more work than historians by sharing these catalogs. What I could bring to the table, we know Nietzsche said, every past is worth condemning. So, like I said, we're either going to try to whitewash or just totally forget that we threw the people that needed the most help aside. Are we supposed to just friggin' tear down the statues, condemn our own past? We'll get real quick lost in the game of pointing figures. Let's just throw out the Declaration of Independence because Jefferson had slaves. We're already off the rails. Tearing shit down isn't progressive. It's symbolic. Um, symbolic of how stupid you are. Why aren't progressives arguing to destroy battlegrounds? <laughs> Instead of going to the Holocaust Museum and telling me how bad you felt about seeing shoes, why don't you go actively try to tear down Buchenwald? This freaking statue of Robert E. Lee is really the worst of your troubles. But only some history is allowed to remain. Chernobyl was where a socialist government radiated its people to death. This is like more egregious than any civil war soldier. <laughs> and we're making HBO specials about it. Quote here, the closer I came to the ruins, the more I imagined myself amongst the remains of my own civilization. Let me totally end the chapter on a wacky note. Maybe they, the media, doesn't want you to see this stuff because it will remind you, yeah, that's going to be America someday. Every empire ends. Well, you know, we're big and strong here. We give you million dollar fines for trespassing. Some high def resolution shots are all you need to prove that an empire is <laughs> one false launch away from complete annihilation. That kid shy, he climbed the radar tower of Duga. And this is like in every friggin' Soviet movie you've ever seen, that weird ass. It's in X-Men. It's in every video game now, Call of Duty. The kid climbed it in real life. You gotta watch that one. This kid, he goes to Chernobyl twice, sacrificing his life for what? <laughs> every tenured historian would never do ended this one on Kizweka Lesla another abandoned Soviet military base underground with MiGs and tanks just go on to that Shahi page the kid finds old MiG Soviet helicopters, fire engine graveyards off the reservation shite chapter 4 rise of an infiltration crew winter of 09 team B of the LLC Got a tip of a 39-story mothballed Ministry of Defense. There's this nuclear bunker in Burlington known as Britain's secret subterranean city. Great Britain came across this ancient stone quarry and turned it into a nuclear launch pad. Bradley came across remnants of the British Civil War there. You're going to find some wild stuff underground. Uh, what did we find? Fairview Mountain Hike on a Patreon. We stumbled across an abandoned mine. He's finding all kinds of Royal Air Force memorabilia. There's a crew of eight strong, all with their tripods and head mounts. Luckily, there's enough place here. Underground City lowered their bags and equipment down from an adjacent quarry with some rope they bought. And then at 10 p.m., they were able to divide and conquer. After an hour of good pictures, they located this giant vault, found a functioning electric cart, and so they started having these 4x4 four four trial-timed races. Some good pictures in the book. You know the boys are throwing back some Balmers, Magners, and Guinness as well. This is like the Holy Grail. And 
epic sight qualifier. It's aesthetically pleasing and fully abandoned. They made it Team B's headquarters for a while. Bradley's bringing up this old idea called situationism, where it's okay to go buck wild if the situation is totally contained. Situationism also kind of applies to the way that they're just making it our headquarters now. Since no one's allowed to have it, it's just supposed to decay forever. Let's put more spikes on the sidewalk to keep out the homeless. No. Instead of getting homeless people back on their feet, let's make more money by charging anybody who's caught in an abandoned area. See? Now we're thinking like a diplomat. The UE epic sites are perfect for letting out suppressed screams, breaking glass, reckless drives in a 4x4 cart. Garrett received some of the best feedback he got from the internet because people like to see the boys having fun underground. Eight strong, they're getting messed up in a abandoned city. It's like every man's dream. There's no one left on earth and you just get to go wild. Maybe that's why it's so enticing. Garrett's peers were reaching out, like the academic ones, saying, This blog is highly unprofessional as a writer. And this was his most viewed thing he had ever done until later. One of his most serious pictures as well come from that infiltration. He's in this circular brick drainage that's probably 10 feet diameter. He looks like James Bond. What's that? In the beginning of every movie, they look down a straw. Bradley Garrett. He's going to raid your tomb. These, like, stick-up-the-ass academics couldn't have been proven any more wrong by the vlogs. <laughs> Do you know any archaeologists who have two million followers like this Ukrainian kid? you got to have that human flair. The UEs kind of promoted Garrett, thanking him for these exposure pictures he took, and he helped locate their new headquarters. His closest companion, Marco Explo, moved up a couple factions himself. He went from the 28 Days Later team to the like head of Team B. Garrett said he started getting hate mail at this time as well, and people trying to blow up his spot. <laughs> Sounds like the cops aren't even putting in this much work to bust some kids. But you got some cranky f*** on the internet who's going to do everything he can to make your life as bad as his. <laughs> And of course, this is counterintuitive to the libertarian idea that most UEs hold. And most cops hold. It's just, sneak around to me. Like most security guards, when you sneak into places, just put the effort into not getting caught. <laughs> A good thief has respect. I know there's some faction of people who are always just trying to soil the fun. Vandalism is the big divide in the scene Bradley was saying. Like, that's not situationism. When you're, yeah, maybe breaking the glass and, of course, spray-painting stuff, you're ruining it for the next person. It's changing the aesthetic for the next people. Team B, later in this chapter about building a crew, they had the Elite Eight once again go out to a site in Burlington. Burlington was like a turf war at this time. There's a couple other crews trying to rival the LLC, so that Elite Eight, they're looking for spots that they could start sleeping. It's like organized homelessness. <laughs> and then weird enough, Bradley Garrett, who's had it all, you know, lived a fancy writer bullshit lifestyle written for The Guardian. He's like, this is some of the jolliest times I've ever had. Just loose goals, 
heavy drinking with the boys, starting in some open sewers and then ending your night on a skyscraper. On this particular mission in Burlington, they wanted to map out the underground some more. Garrett pointed out this spray paint from a guy Zero, and then there were a couple more murals signed by Balkus and Snapple. And these are a couple of the biggest explorers in Team A. So, like, there is fighting within the LLC over turf in Burlington as well. Team A would specialize in four different zones. Construction sites, cable tunnels, electricity centers, and deep shelter. And then Team B prides themselves on sewers and the London Metro. You could tell that Bradley Garrett, he... His most recent book is about underground bunkers and the end of the world. Timely release. Uh, yeah, he's really good at the underground, the bunkers and everything. Following night, Team B was celebrating Explo's 29th birthday. And he knew of the King's Reach Tower in Burlington. It's only 30 stories high, but the security is protecting a pretty sweet view. Garrett was able to sneak past three security cameras because he had the proper getup at the time. Like, if you're a train hopper, you always have to have a high-vis vest on you. You want to bring some sort of a radio to try to tap into some local frequencies. He had the vest, Garrett did, and he also bought a hard hat and a clipboard. Gotta have the clipboard. And the goods surreptitiously fit in for the party. He was hauling a helium tank. You lads <laughs> overseas love to giggle off the noble gases. And then Garrett also had a duffel bag on him full of booze. And you'll look like a basic construction guy. He has the whole uniform and then just some pressurized air and a big-ass bag. The best camouflage is no camouflage. You have to look like you belong to not ruin the setting. Like if you have a ghillie suit on, <laughs> you might fit in, but it's not going to work unless it's in the right setting. As the night goes on, more of Team B is showing up from Team A. You know, when it's a good party, all of the race goes aside and they're able to sling them back together. <laughs> and it's a cherry on top of the party knowing that some poor schmuck is going to get called in on Monday. This uh, particular form fits your size and stature. I know you've been working on the roof here. You must have came back during non-business hours to throw a rager. I'm going to like... <laughs> Someone sell me your old McDonald's uniform so that I could go into random stores and steal industrial-sized bags of fries. <laughs> Fellas partied up there until 2 a.m., started going down to street level one at a time and launching fireworks up at the guys on the roof. Garrett starts saying skyscrapers are a proving ground for a new crew. And so Marco hosting his party up there on top really added to Team B's hype. Rager on top of King's Reach Tower. It's a pretty legendary venue. The boys hit a couple more construction sites before the end of the night. Security in those locations are more formidable. Those are some of the few places you're going to run into dogs, and all of those guys are walkie-talkied up. Marco told him an old story of the night climbers of Cambridge. The only way he found out about them initially was climbing some old uh, church, and he found etched into a brick their signature. And it was back in the 1930s these guys were scaling everything. So during these great depressions and lockdowns when people don't have shit to do, we're apes. We just start climbing stuff. <laughs> you got to prove yourself by 
etching your name on the top of the pyramid. Garrett was explaining how London rooftops are more real than real life. What are you supposed to do with that? Just psychoanalyzing. You're like hyper aware when you're hanging off of a crane. It's probably all the adrenaline that's positively reinforced by the view. Because if you're just getting adrenaline with no stimuli, you're stressed. But since you have some sort of awesomeness to put that into, and especially this guy taking the pictures, this is a recipe. Garrett is loving it. He met a couple guys in Team B that night who considered themselves crane crabs. And so they would bring their own equipment specifically for cranes. He's thinking it's a shame this isn't an Olympic sport. Great freaking point, Bradley Garrett. Think about all of the Olympic sports. They have this slow development. Mark Spitz, that guy would get dusted by Phelps in the modern day. You see, they just introduced climbing to the Olympics, and it's this pussified (laughs) backward-facing wall where if you fall, you fall into a pool. An event with the whole world? Baby, you gotta go for the ratings. (laughs) We're gonna be climbing the Burj Khalif, man's highest tower, no harness, hang gliding off of Everest, trench diving. Yeah, let's go really underground, the Marianas Trench. No diving suit. Can you stand up to the pressure? Extreme Olympics. Crane crabs would keep up to date with the city's construction projects. So they were always like printing out the forms and knew when one place was closing down. They're like kids with the blueprints for the newest playground. A new one opening up across town. Should be able to hit it after pre-K. Garrett's sketchiest climb ending the chapter was London's Heron Tower. It was icy, windy, and had a 200-meter drop-off. He's been higher. Pictures are pretty crazy, though. You can tell it was, like, shimmying along an edge. Someone who immersed themselves in a scene. He says, you're only doing your best work when you're pushing it. And that's why the pictures from the Heron Tower were so good. And this was when he bought up that Hunter S. Thompson edge work. We did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is only on the backlog now on the Patreon page. He took adrenochrome. Hunter S. Thompson (laughs) did Las Vegas better than anyone ever will. Edge work works best in any domain where there is a perceived risk of death. So you could definitely die from drugs. You could die from climbing stuff. And then you can make the edge of edge work, Evil Knievel, where everything is about avoiding death. Steve Ling was the top skydiver at the time mentioned in the book, and he's quoted saying, My heart rate is always jacked. I love it when I do it. Not everyone needs to be in free fall to access this state, but why should you take that away from some people who are only able to find happiness from it? Garrett also had some more pics of the Fourth Rail Bridge, which was born in 1883. It's like the size of the Brooklyn Bridge, and it looks just like it. He said this was his second sketchiest call. You're walking... You've seen the pictures if you don't have really specific equipment to clamp into those weird high wires. You're straight up just doing a tightrope walk. Garrett said he sustained a 110 heart rate for the entire hour he was on it. <laughs> Some good calorie burning. Of course, he's happy he didn't turn back. He found an abandoned arena on the other side, somewhere in Essex. Not even the most frequented 
UE site in Essex, there's this building called the Shard, and it has a giant spire on top. And this was one of the first places a UE ever base jumped from. Edge work. Let's go to chapter 5. Grails of the Underground. Got a Montesquieu quote to start it. Although born in a prosperous realm, we did not believe that its boundaries should limit our knowledge. In the 1850s, the sewers of London were being built. From Team A, Snapple and Zero were of the first to infiltrate the space. They told Garrett about these rushes of hot gas and warm air that are arising from creepy holes. And it feels nice in the middle of the winter. But if you're going in the summer, you better bring lots of water. Ew, it's got to get hot down there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, good thing they're cold-blooded. Doesn't get real until you finally hear the manhole clink into place above your head. And then everybody clicks on their lights and you realize you just entered another world. Although you're inches from modern civilization, you are got your own friggin' planet. This entire chapter had all these badass pictures of like red and white headlamps, amazing murals underground. You would think you'd want people to see it, <laughs> but all the murals above ground are of George Floyd. They were finding skate parks underground. The sound of traffic above is just this dull hum. Mostly you're hearing running water. And it's a place of peace amongst the bustle and rustle, says Garrett. Knightsbridge Sewer was one of their best hacks. In unison, there were four guys marching through waist-high water. you got to bring waders. And you musically squish together for hours at a time. They came to this enormous chamber great pictures in the book it kind of looked at the end of the movie it where there's a bunch of floating children if you look up of course there's hanging toilet paper Ew, yo have you heard about new york city they have sewer fat balls i don't know why it's called that it's there's like 12 foot tall clumps of toilet paper obviously caked with shit and period blood these guys are bringing machetes and hacking their way <laughs> through rat tails. Also nervous, he's saying, of the unanticipated rainstorm that could happen at any moment. <laughs> Me and my boys, when we were under Route 80, we always memorized, you got to know your way out. Because at any moment, yeah, the water could start rising. And that's probably, I have a phobia of that. You're like in a box, you're in your car, just went off a bridge and it starts filling up with water. Probably should have spent less time in the sewers. <laughs> in this Knightsbridge sewer infiltration, Garrett found the notes of an old sewer hunter. He said he would live off of rat meat, and he had flushed drugs were like most of his diet as well. It's <laughs> a pretty sick place to live if you could stomach the rat meat. And it also could just be a tall tale to try to scare out all the other people. The London main drainage tunnels are all mapped at this point. We're like 2011 in Garrett's journey. Numerous additions are being added above and below. So you can't tell if the tunnel that you're in is about to be tunneled through as well. Or on that exact day, they're sealing off the exit for eternity. The police, he said, would even refer to go down due to men getting lost. And in the old days, it was a giant body dump. So you'll still come across a corpse or two. The cops were even like, all right, if the murder ends in the sewers, the murderer gets to walk free. No one's going down there unless 
He got an HD camera. He starts with his comparison that the sewers are the innards of the city. It's not pretty, but it's necessary, and it's pretty in its own way. Being on top of a skyscraper, you get the illusion that the city is alive. When you're underground, he says, you feel that it is alive. It's not just this perception of, oh, look at all the white blood cells, the people on the 405 highway. When you're underground, you're like, this fucking organism is beating. I could hear the veins of it. That Battersea Power Station was like a metropolitan underground. Six guys found 20 extra miles of tunnel, and it went all the way under the Great River. So they're like doing their own Croatian underground downtown hacks. They got their own friggin' fast travel system throughout London. (laughs) They tried to request municipal blueprints of the tunnels, and they said the public is being excluded from spatial information from here on out. In um, like 2016, you started hearing of some of these urban explorers getting stream sniped. <laughs> so the cops literally were watching, um, I think it was Bad Cat, some of his infiltrations, and then they would show up to where he was. So now you see in all the videos, the kids wear masks. They don't go live anymore. You got to stay ahead of it. You know, these friggin' secret cities that are being built with your tax money that you're not supposed to know exist. The public is here for after being excluded from spatial awareness. (laughs) He noticed municipal buildings with pedestrian tunnels linking. So, like, we know this in Washington, D.C. The people who are supposed to represent their constituents can't even take the D.C. Metro. They have their own system of vampiric catacombs of D.C. to stay alienated from the populace. (laughs) He's discovering this kind of stuff even over in London. Son, if we're talking government and underground, you gotta let me go off about Denver's airport real quick. (laughs) Every time I fly out of it. They spent $4.8 billion dollars relocating the Denver airport 30 miles further outside of the city. Hmm. We should probably just uh, mark it up as coincidence (laughs) that the royal family owns millions of dollars of land surrounding it. And this was just a funny coincidence. All of the runways shape into a Nazi swastika. (laughs) Uh, Why do you need to spend $4.8 billion? Uh, Math doesn't check out there unless a lot of money is just being laundered. If you watch that new Godzilla movie... They're, like, trying to make a mockery out of the underground. That whole entire movie was shitting on inner-earth conspiracy theorists. It's up to you to decide if you go this deep. Operation High Jump and some five-star generals down in Antarctica are saying that there are maybe some things that we should explore that lead to an inner-earth down there in Antarctica. So that whole Godzilla King Kong thing, you got fucking Millie Bobby Brown searching deep underground military bases to catch some hot dick from Drake while she's underage. There's all those slight nods in media. UEs are discovering their cities from the inside out. It's the opposite to the citizen who looks into the history last. And you watch these videos, Bradley Garrett as well is extremely informed on like the air raid, all the London underground bunkers. These guys are well versed in their uh, Operation Paperclip. (laughs) Always got to have a visibility vest. You got to be on high alert when you're in the underground. 
because the boys found the brain of the city. It was Basil Jet, the name of this utility tunnel, still in London, and it hosted all of the fiber optic cables for telecommunication for the city. Bring one pair of scissors there. You could shut down the city of London, which is technically not part of Great Britain. Pretty cool, though. These guys were anatomically going through the appendages of the underground, and they found the main brain that popped up after that in a downtown square, and a bunch of drinkers were just laughing at them, asking, did you catch any ghosts down there? (laughs) Whenever a sewer is opened, a crowd usually gathers around it, and so you got to be able to get in and out quickly. He has a story later we'll knock out, but he was trapped in some sort of underground and may have been in Vegas, and so he starts popping up and he sees a cop, and so he waits half an hour and he pops up again, and the cop is still there. So he goes 100 yards down the road to the next manhole, and he pops up and he sees the cop drive up. (laughs) Playing freaking whack-a-mole with the city police. Bradley says once you get a hang of the layout, the sewers become a more practical way to navigate the city. I'm saying this is your fast travel. There's that video game The Last of Us 2. I think it took place in Portland or Seattle. They made all of the skyscrapers into this above-ground network of travel. If you are on the street level, then all the cops are going to be on your ass, so they just start going to the skyline. And These guys are just saying, let's go underground. Ends the chapter on one of the biggest holy grails in the scene, the Paris Catacombs. Better than Godzilla. (laughs) There's that horror movie called uh, The Devil Below, I think. All about the Parisian catacombs. Looks pretty accurate. There really are all of these weird religious altars down there. He started talking about Felix Nadar, which was one of the first people in the 1800s to actually try to map the catacombs. And he did the whole history of it. There were countless workers who went crazy from extremely monotonous tasks. Here, I'm going to give you this spoon and then just slowly scrape away at this wall for your entire life. The tunnels were standardized, so it's even easier to get lost. And there's just hundreds of miles. Garrett said that when he went, like you have to find increasingly smaller holes to get down into the deeper levels. This is not a place for people with claustrophobia. And on the higher levels, there are entire cities worth of people there there's tens of thousands of people under las vegas <laughs> it's like creepy offerings i said that guy um nadar he studied in the 50s to the 00s 1800s paris paris has a long history there were these group of people called the slopes they used to store grain alcohol and grow psychedelic mushrooms underground and these guys could also dispose of a body if you needed to underground railways he said would sometimes intersect with the ancient catacombs and this helped get his gumption back he felt like he was at home again in the london subway you really get creeped out easy in the like the champs de mar was this parisian ghost station and you know if everybody turns their light off you could hear a train coming right at you team a they located an arsenal from there this parisian underground It's like finding your own ways down into the bigger grail. And you never tell anybody. That's why these guys fragment into so many smaller crews. You don't want your spot to be blown up. And he took it back to England for a little bit in 1902. 
There's this famous old witch platform because it's built with wooden floors and marble walls. You got to look into the Moscow underground. <laughs> they're, I don't know where they're getting this money. Putin is the only quadrillionaire in existence. He snaps a finger and the money is printed. Their undergrounds have chandeliers. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> Makes no sense. And it's saying not all of these exhibitions are without risk. In 2010, Team A lost their first crew member trying to base jump off of the Hotel Bangkok. And even recently, the first guy who successfully base jumped the Burj Dubai died a year later in Switzerland. You think this is a game? Chapter 6, Hacking the New World. We're taking it over to America. Team B is heading to Motor City to explore some of the 33,000 derelict buildings. If you're into abandoned porn, you gotta move to Detroit. Garrett brought up how ruination was biggest after the Cold War in Berlin. And then when the 1990s Soviet Union fell, you had all those underground bases opening back up. And America somehow managed to supersize all of our ruins without ever closing down. <laughs> Between 1947 and 67, the lost city of Detroit had 160,000 manufacturing jobs. And there was a mass exodus in the 60s, you know, of over 1 million people fled the city. When the boys visited in 2011, the population was 700,000. It never recovered. The inner city has your basic rooftops and tunnels, while the outer city was satisfyingly sketchy, said Garrett. All these abandoned suburb houses. Bradley starts openly discussing the hero shot here. Guys perfected this in the 2012 era. Like you got to give a little bit more love to Stobe the Hobo, the guy who invented this vagrant genre. He always had the pictures of him on top of the train cars extended. That's uh, fucking movies, commercials are doing the hero shot. The crew during their Expedition America was housing like homeless, staying in various wrecks. They got this cherry red Challenger just for the pics. You're going to Miami to be a clout god? Always rent the vehicle. Stylization was growing in the 2010-2016 era here. They gotta be bigger than life. And I think this kind of fell off as well because you're watching some of these explorers eat cat food and they still got a million plus subscribers, whatever. Stylization, it's just going to develop with time. And that gift gas guy, <laughs> if you want a really good music library, just watch some of his videos. Not videos, he's making movies, documentaries. These things are god-tier content. And you have to wager in the risk these guys are taking for their artistic expression. <laughs> How bold of Van Gogh was it to paint the bridge? How would you break into some shit? Boys are heading to Chicago to meet up with an American crew where everyone started by climbing the Chicago Hilton. On night two, they were more selective with the roster, seeing who was able to keep up. The specialists then went to the Ritz-Carlton residences. 40-story, bulbous, 360 black dome building. And it was a rainy day. Lucky Marco Explo was there to ninja the path for everyone. He used bolt cutters at one point to get up to the top level. And it's unreal looking pictures of him. Like, there's a lightning storm overlooking Lake Michigan. Hopefully I'll be able to find that exact picture online. Or just buy the book. 
Then the sirens started converging from the streets below. Guys couldn't tell if they were dripping sweat or rain. Decide to wait it out, and luckily, right there down on the Miracle Mile, there's a dispute between this meth-addled cab driver and a cop. (laughs) You got a guy making money and endangering other people's lives, not just paying for them, but other strangers on the road. And that's not the crime the kids on the roof are. (laughs) We've all had the Uber driver try to back up in the middle of the highway because he missed an exit. I've never had an urban explorer threaten my life. He titled this part, The Phenomena of Perception. They're heading down to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Best kind of adventure. They found a lake to camp on on the way down. First night in St. Paul, they're living on a rooftop. They meet Alex Prince there, who is Canada's top explorer. He takes wild pictures like... Spider-Man. There was this one I remember. He was... Remember the friggin' Spider-Man 2 movie poster? The reflection of Spider-Man is the black one, and he's literally hanging on to the mirror building. It's the same exact picture, but it's some kid with Keds on. It's amazing. This Alex Prince guy knows how these commercial apartments with mirror-paneled walls are the perfect ones to get reflections of the sky. So then he knows exactly what building from there to try to climb. He's a real expert. Takes him to the Legacy Tower, a 72-story commercial apartment building. Friggin' great pictures there. It's like the classic girl picture where they're all hanging their feet off the ledge. Except for these guys are 700 feet in the air. Iconic. Alex, Marco, Polo, Bradley. That night... Team B got drunk off of Alex Prince's home-brewed Canadian moonshine, and they're analyzing maps. Prince said the old heads used to throw together underground raves in 1968 St. Paul, and there are five-story deep tunnels. They were still running with that U.S. crew from before. They called the Action Squad. They had a couple other underground hits as well. The Action 2 was still in that phase where they were tunneling their own cavities underground. So like the LLC we went over before, they found out that you could pay for an excavator if you're getting likes on YouTube. (laughs) Action Squad said the U.S. cops would target teams heavily, so you have to go solo. And you can't excavate everything alone. Bradley is saying they're not making as much progress in the U.S. because the cops are singling people out one by one. Last part of the trip, they head to the Mojave Desert home of the lone wolf vegas is a city of 580,000 with 15,000 homeless people (laughs) how do you survive in the nevada sun all day without a roof over your head you go underground bradley recommended matthew o'brien's book beneath the neon life and death in the tunnels of las vegas this is an entire book movie saga of itself there are 350 miles of tunnels Full of people who lost it all on the blackjack table. (laughs) Garrett met multiple people with that story. There's no fence hopping or manhole popping necessary. These people spend entire weeks, months, years underground. Las Vegas is on some ancient riverbed. So there's all these dry caverns that were bore out by water long ago. Garrett found an entrance in the valet parking area of Caesar's Palace. People see him emerging after hours. 
after talking to a lot of these Vegas underground dwellers, he had a good quote, homelessness is preferable to the mental vacancy most people inhabit at work all day, every day. Garrett met down there this girl named Aurel, a sewer rat, and she said, oh, I got this amazing building I've heard about that you guys could climb. It was the Fontaine Blue, a 68-story unfinished casino, cost $2.9 billion. They try to hit the top at 3 a.m., 40 minutes of stairs, temporary wooden door at the top with a padlock on it. They're all thinking, whoa, so we just got to go back down. And then they hear from behind them what they thought was an inoperable lift coming up with three security guards. And so they were like, uh, are you guys jumpers? Let me see your backpacks. Come on over here. They're like, no, 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 we're just taking pictures up here. Main security steps forward and he was like, come here, all of you. Why did you think this was an appropriate way to get to the top of this building? And he walks them over to the other side of the floor and there's an open door to get to the roof. And he's like, my shift is over in two hours. Make sure you're gone before them. Enjoy the United States. <laughs> Garrett made a big deal about this. He's like, the USA has this reputation for being violent authoritarians. It is self-interested liberty. Head to Cali. They stopped in the Yermo Desert. Had the biggest bonfire ever. The action squad bought their AR-15. So they're popping bottles and popping bottles literally. Hit a ghost town outside Victorville, California. There's a lot to be explored. Even in the United States, he found a 747 graveyard. Called it Gorilla Exploring. Could be the next book. Let's go to chapter 7, Crowds and Cuffs. The final one. Starts with a Bill Wasick quote. Man, whom we now know to respond predictably to social forces, is therefore himself the ultimate artistic medium. Pretty good quote to sum up artism. Anything you do, walking slightly out of line to spite your teacher, or going one mile per hour over the speed limit, is an act of art, technically. Most men would rather fit in than be free. So all you have to do is not try to fit in to commit an act of art. Garrett got a hit piece written about him by the Daily Mail for climbing St. Paul's Cathedral. He sued them back for using his photos without credit. Both dropped to the case. He had to pay for the lawyers, though. Starts making the bigger point last chapter. At some point, people got to fight back against the censors. <laughs> uh, modern cases, you got Republicans being kicked off of YouTube. You know, nothing outside of bounds. Learn to color inside the lines. That Steven Crowder guy. Literally, I've never heard him say anything that isn't in the approved paradigm of political discourse. He's actually suing back, at least. There's not much you could do, Bradley Garrett knows, when your name is being smeared. He was reached out to by The Sun, being asked if he was aiding terrorists up on St. Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> These are like some mom rumors that the news is trying to say. Local teens on top of cathedral planting bomb. Garrett mistakenly <laughs> took an interview with BBC London. And they asked him how he broke into St. Paul's Cathedral. And he was legally briefed by that lawyer he had on retainer. Barrister over there who wears a wig. They still do that shit in their legal system. Garrett smartly said... I was able to bypass the obstacles to get on the roof. They're just trying to 
on live air in real time get him to incriminate himself. He was able to plug all of his Urbex projects and teams while he was saying, this isn't illegal, right? I don't know anything about this not being allowed. He's maintaining plausible deniability, and the anchor is getting pissed. She just wants some footage where he falls off of a skyscraper to scare other moms. Deny, deny, deny. He says there's always a risk in ethnographic work. And in Bradley's line, that's the risk of taking your own life. He's like, I'm not risking hurting any people, so why should I be on anybody's radar? News lady is getting smart and said, Well, don't you feel any shame for commercializing a subculture? Mic drop. That's a critical hit. Or she's a newscaster, that's a hypocritical hit. She just dosed him with his own medicine. Oh, you're selling out all your boys. Those were supposed to be underground places that you could have kept to yourself. And now you have to go big on the internet. Bradley is much more educated in this romanticism. And he fires right back. He goes, Ripley's believe it or not. These guys stood against capitalism, but they didn't starve to death. They exploited their own deformities to fit into the system. Like, you could just be a fucking hobo. That's not very artistic to that earlier definition. Technically it is, because you're not playing by the rules. But when you use your deformity to exploit the system, that's when you are (laughs) being a true money laundering artist. The top comment for the interview was, Mate, I was a gate guard for London Bridge my whole life. Not once did I think to climb it. Now whenever I look up, I smile. Cheers for that. The second and all the tertiary comments were along the lines of, Thanks for doing this so us homebodies can live vicariously through you. The internet comments, the viewers mostly think that Bradley Garrett is right. This is an issue of polity. Like I brought up the straight line test in the beginning of the show. In Scotland, they have what's called the right of way law. So this kid was like, I'm just going to walk across everybody's land because if you're on your own mission, you're not allowed to be stopped in this dope-ass sovereign country of Scotland. Good thing they're not under the friggin' queen's thumb up there. The Scots are responsible for most of American culture. (laughs) We are where we usually are at the end of the show, arguing along the lines of autonomy and whether you're allowed to take risks at your own will. Most of the people were not on the newscaster's side there. Garrett quote here, If you try to change the system from the inside, often what gets changed is you. Finished the project in 2012 with the LLC, and he went abroad to do a domestic abuse documentary in Cambodia. Finishes that up, Garrett's flying back to the UK. He's sitting on the tarmac and sees a bunch of cop cars. He's like, oh shit, someone's smuggling drugs from the UK? couple of air marshals come onto the plane and handcuff him in front of everybody. They're saying, you're detained for breaking and entering. And Garrett gets his passport hole punched and everything for, he said, two plus years. He was shanghai in England, and they tried to deport him, but he had nowhere to be deported to because he technically didn't have a citizenship. Like, they put him through a living nightmare. Really not a happy ending. He was like... I got the friggin' rap sheet of El Chapo, but I paid a bunch of people to have it expunged. (laughs) Just friggin' extortion. Quoted the American Sociological Association stating that 
Researchers have an extended code of ethics when their work is outside the bounds of legal protection. The universities pay for anthropology teachers. <laughs> I couldn't keep it. To go over to South Africa and watch poor people starve. Like, we pay for that and give them a moral exception. You're not supposed to reach in and help the people because that would be disturbing their ecosystem. It's like, if you're doing sociology, you really can't be too ethical. Of course, that did not hold up as a legal defense. <laughs> Edge work. That's my legal defense. It's not always moral, but to get the best content, you got to do something extreme. It's basically going to do it for Explore Everything. I suggest Bradley Garrett's interviews, all of his works. Maybe we see him again on the show with that Underground Bunker book. Thank you, the listener, for tuning in once again. Going to keep the train moving along with some interesting content. It'll be a Patreon exclusive next week. We have The Seventh Sense. That's right. Every good radio host has an astral projection hour. You've got to be into telling people that they can leave their body and make it to the other plane. (laughs) It's going to be a level-headed look at something the military funds, remote viewing. And I can't really explain too much in 30 seconds without going wild here. You're going to have to tune into the show. Make sure you guys are subscribed over there. Love you all. I'll see you in seven short days. My name is Nick Muniz. Later.